Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Jen. I'm really dumb, you guys. This isn't an ad, so don't fast forward. I'm, I'm, this is an announcement about this, this week's episode. The sound is a little wonky donks. Um, I got a new mic. It's super fans. But I set it up wrong. <laughs> it's all set up now perfectly. But uh, I had to get this episode out to you quickly. I recorded it later than I normally do. And anyway, with the new microphone, you know, you got to go into your settings and choose that the input is this and that and that it's picking up your sound from the mic and not from the MacBook speakers. Well, this episode, I hadn't done that. And so my voice is coming to you through the MacBook speakers. And my wonderful producer, Tony, is going to make it sound as good as he can using the technology and the God-given skills he was given, but it's not going to sound as rich as it normally does. It's a little bit of a hollow sound, but as you can hear in this part, this announcement, the mic is great. And we'll be back with it next week. Why do I say we? It is just me talking. But I will be back with the better sound next week. But I, I mean, listen, it's not unlistenable by any means. You'll just be like, huh? Just gonna turn it up, turn it up. And until next week, when the sound quality will be better, have fun. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. No Fun the Jen Kirkman podcast. That was coming in hot. Sorry about that. No Fun the Jen Kirkman podcast episode of 403. Golly. Coming to you the first day of September. Oh my goodness. How did it get to be September? I know how the world kept on turning and everything does what it always did. And our perception of time is based on our own reality. 
I'm Jen Kirkman. I am your host. I am also a comedian. You may know me from my Netflix specials. I'm going to dial in when I feel fine and just keep living. Watch them all you want. But this is the only place you can go to hear me week to week talk off the top of my head about what's going on in the world, in my life, and again, sometimes just what's going on in my head. Those are three different things that could be possibly going on. And uh, yeah, uncensored, unfiltered, not racist. Does that make sense? Usually when people say, I'd say what it, I'd tell it like it is. I'm not telling it like it is in a way that the Proud Boys would relate. I'm telling it like it is for me. And hopefully you relate. I hope you enjoy. Welcome new listeners. I always say this is the perfect podcast to put on while you're doing your dishes or walking the dog or just walking yourself, driving over a scary bridge and you need someone to be there for you. I don't know why I always say that. That's what I do. I listen to podcasts when I'm sort of anxious in certain situations. It it just helps. I remember when I was getting my root canal a few months ago. And I had the laughing gas, but it was taking a while. I, I was like, I don't really feel it. I mean, I'm an old horse, you know, who's been on all the anxiety meds for decades. You can't just put laughing gas on me and expect it to work in two seconds. It takes me a minute. I have a tolerance. Anyway, the uh, dentist said, well, you know, maybe you should, do you have music that's on in your headphones or is, are you listening to talking? If you're listening to people talking, it can stimulate your mind too much and not relax you. Music's more relaxing. I disagree. I don't think music isn't relaxing, but people talking distracts me, which relaxes me. So there you go. Go get a root canal and put on No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. Now, announcement, the show will be moving to a Thursday release on September 30th. My newer podcast, Anxiety Bites, is coming out October 6th. That is a Wednesday, and the company I'm working with, they want a Wednesday release. I can't, I can't tell corporate America what to do. No, so I said, sure. Thursdays, no fun will move to Thursdays. I don't think there's such a huge difference. Plus, you're still getting another podcast of mine. And I'm really excited. I've been, we've got, uh, let's see, seven interviews in the can. I have four more scheduled for next week. We'll have, uh, and then I record the intros and outros. So we'll have 11 episodes already produced, which is a relief off my shoulders. That could carry us to the end of 2021. I mean, what year is it? And uh, I'm just so excited to bring this show to you, interviewing artists and experts in anxiety and neuroscientists and psychologists and professors and people with just on, on every experts in grief, experts in everything. It's going to be very diverse, hopefully. And uh, I'm just excited to have conversations about anxiety. And I hope to normalize that anxiety is very common. And there are so many ways that you can go about coping with it. You don't even have to just pick one. You can have a have a bunch. So anyway, that's that podcast. I don't have the link yet for you to subscribe. They're still putting everything together for me. So you'll know, you'll know when I know. And then next week, a week from today, my tickets go on sale to see me in Brooklyn. I'll be doing five shows. Those need to sell out 
right away. Now, again, if anything happens crazy with COVID and we need to cancel, obviously you get your money back. So buy those tickets. This will be a good test. If the city I'm the most popular in cannot buy tickets for me, I really will not even consider touring again. So pressure's on, Brooklyn. And uh, no, there really is no other New York show booked coming up. Um, once I do five shows in Brooklyn, you don't do New York for another year. So this is your time to see me. First week of December. So there's a link in the show notes. If you click it, it puts you on my newsletter list and you get an email the day tickets go on sale to remind you with a link. And then you'll get an email the day that Anxiety Bites uh, has a link available to subscribe. And that's it. I used to try to do this newsletter once a week. It's too much work. So I really only do it when there's news, which I think is uh, probably better for everybody, right? We get enough emails. I don't know what I'm talking about this week. I've got listener emails. I've got a lot of things. I, I'll just have to say, I don't really, you know, I had a birthday last week. I did nothing. I've already talked about this on my Patreon. If you want to join my Patreon, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman link in the show notes. You can join at $3 a month. That gets you the raw audio of every episode without ads, without theme song either. But you get it released early as well. So you get it before the general public. And then the $5 level, you get the video version. There is extra episode in the video version, things that you do not hear on the audio version, public or Patreon even. So and then there's so many more bonuses after that, extra episodes, all kinds of things. So click the link in the show notes. It is the best way to support me. It's been a major source of my income since the pandemic. And since I stopped touring, I think of this as my touring. You want to see me? <clears throat> Join the Patreon. You can look at my face. I'm looking right at everyone right now. Kisses. I just sneeze. <laughs> Convinced I have COVID every time I sneeze. Okay, everybody. Well, speaking of which, so the boosters. Okay, so I had my birthday. I did nothing, but you can hear about it on Patreon. I loved it. I'm in this. Uh, I'll, I'll explain in a minute. Well, I'll, st I'll do it now. I'm in this uh, mood this year, and it's really not a bad mood. It's very hard to convince some people of this. I didn't do anything for my birthday, and it was a delight. I got a massage, a mani-pedi an acupuncture treatment that was specifically for the day of your birth. And because I hadn't done it in a long time, I went home and laid on the couch, took my bed pillows. I just watched TV. I just, I even rewatched episodes of shows that I like, that I, you know, that, that for me, for me, for type A Virgo me, if there's a new show I want to check out or a new show I'm already in the middle of watching, to then go and watch an episode of a show I've already seen, it doesn't compute. That's not organized enough. What am I doing, quote, wasting time watching this episode of a show I've already seen? Why don't I just watch the new episodes of the new show I haven't seen? And I just, I turned my brain off. I said, who cares? You do what you want. <clears throat> so I laid on the couch and watched TV and... It was fantastic. Now, it wasn't very birthday-ish, but it was whatever the hell I wanted to do. And I got to tell you, it was way better than last year's birthday, where it was the height of the pandemic. I didn't go anywhere, but I did FaceTime phone calls with every single friend of mine in 15-minute increments. And I ordered my favorite food. I had cupcakes. I drank wine all day. It was fine, but I was really hungover the next day. I felt sick from all the food I ate. 
I seriously thought I was going to throw up all day long. And I just felt like I had no time to myself because I was just talking to people. And so this birthday was fucking great. And I didn't have a drop of alcohol. And I woke up the next day just feeling refreshed. I'm living my dream. I'm doing work I love doing. This podcast and the Anxiety Bites podcast. And I turned in the second draft of my Hallmark Christmas movie on Friday night, the night before my birthday. I'm in the zone. You know? I just didn't feel like doing anything. I was happy as a clam. Now, this year, I don't think I'm decorating for Christmas. I know that sounds scandalous. But here's the thing. I don't know where I'm going to be November and December. I might be in New York. If I'm 100% going back to a job, and then I would have to get an apartment there. So I'll be in New York. And I'll be putting together an apartment. Not someone else's Airbnb, but like from scratch getting an apartment. I don't feel like buying all this Christmas decoration stuff. I just don't feel like it. And I'll be visiting my family a lot. And my sister's house is very Christmassy. Or if I if my job doesn't start by then, I think I'm going to go back and stay with my sister for a couple weeks during Christmas. So it's like I think I'll be on the East Coast all of December anyway. So there's no need to decorate my place here, which I normally start decorating on October 31st. But you know what? I put all my Christmas decorations in storage last year instead of keeping them in my uh, office closet. And, you know, I don't feel like driving to a storage space, putting the shit in my car, then bringing it. I did that on purpose so that I would because I just knew I'm. I'm a little burned down on Christmas, especially working on this Hallmark movie, but I'm not sad about it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I don't need to decorate because I don't feel like undecorating. In the happiest of ways, like just don't feel like it. I might bring out like a Christmas mug or something, but just keeping it simpy dimpy. Simple. But I already know that that's the mood. And and when I tell people, they go, oh, you'll change your mind. I go, no, no, I'm telling you. I feel it when I feel it. I know it in my gut. I am as happy as a clam for the Christmas season. I just don't feel like overdoing it and decorating. Not a sad, not from a sad place. If it was from a sad place, I hope everyone would come over and decorate for me. This is just from a, that's just where I'm at. I don't feel like it. You know, time is all wobbly. The pandemic, people kept Christmas lights up the whole time. And I just, I like the, my place the way it looks. And if I'm in somewhere new, I really am just going to be focused on getting that together. And it will take a while for furniture to be delivered and all this. I'm going to have a fucking Christmas tree. It's just too much. New York is plenty Christmassy without my little apartment, wherever that may be. And again, I'm not going to be like, you know, it's just one. Does anyone relate to what I'm saying? Where like, weirdly, you know, months in advance how you're going to be feeling and, and not again from just the most rational place. You're like, I still feel like it. I'm in the zone. I'm having the time of my life. This other stuff, I don't feel like a lot of times Christmas decorating was like a form of cheering myself up. But the day I'm more miserable than any is always the day that it's time to take all that stuff down. Not because I'm sad about it, just it's annoying thing to do. And then whenever you take your decorations down, it's like, oh, my apartment feels so different now, so empty. What, ugh, I hate everything. I just don't want to deal with that feeling this year. 
So there you go. I'm, why am I talking? I don't know. I guess because I said it was September 1st. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see if this movie gets made. I, I kind of hope it does now. I, I've kind of fallen in love with it. When you like your own writing, I always feel like that's such a red flag. <clears throat> Whenever I've really liked a script I've written, it really gets no traction in the marketplace. Or my manager is like, oh, I don't know. And whenever I'm like, I don't know if this is any good. I hate this. Everyone's like, this is great. I'm like, what? So just like the writer in me is like, something must be wrong if I kind of like this. Not from, a, again, not from a negative place. Just kind of how it works. Anyway, oh my God. So all that to say, not really. Biden now is like, I think I might do boosters at the five-month mark, just like Israel. I'm like, I know he's been listening to No Fun, the Joe, the Joe Kirkman podcast. <laughs> no Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. I know you're listening, Biden. What's up, Prez? I told y'all. You can't tell me that the vaccine after six months is less effective against the Delta variant and then tell me we'll get boosters at eight months when most people, eight months for them is November, heart of cold and flu and pandemic season, winter, fall, the worst time, and people are going to be traveling to see family. I mean, is you crazy that we have to wait eight months? Uh-uh. Now he's saying five months, which if that's true, that means it's time for me to get a booster two weeks ago. So I don't think I, I might have to go to New York in September. Uh, my parents are coming in October. I'm not doing any of that without a booster. Are you all insane? So I'm glad that now, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be like, if you have one leg, you can get a booster. Everyone else, you have to wait. It's like all of us need it at the same time. It just, I get prioritizing. It's a beautiful thing, but let's just make it for all of us. We can do it. We're America. Let's do it. I have a friend who's like, I won't get a booster because some countries haven't even been vaccinated. And, and I said, listen, I get that. I understand the moral dilemma of we are the richest country and, you know, I'll never understand we're trillions in debt. We're the richest country. I don't fucking know anymore. I don't fucking know anymore. America is like that trust fund kid you went to college with who's like, I don't have any money. And you're like, but your dad owns five studios in Hollywood and makes every movie. That was me at Emerson College in Boston. People would be like, I have no money. And I'm like, no, I actually have no money. What they meant was their dad hadn't wired their $1,000 for the week into their account yet. They were cash poor. I'm like, I'm all the poor. Well, not poor, but broke. You know, there is no money being funneled in from my family in that sense. I mean, of course, my my family did uh, help pay for some of college. I did student loans. I did work study, you know, the whole thing. But in that extra sense of like people with trust fund, you know, it's just like America. It's like we're the richest country in the world. We are? Yes. We're trillions of dollars in debt. Okay. I'm not, I don't want to get emails from men like, here's how the economy works. I'm being funny. You know, comedians, we boil things down to just the little inconsistencies and we point them out and we laugh. You got to keep it simple when you're making people laugh and when you're making points. Comedians say things that are just boiled down to the simplest thing where you go, oh yeah, that is interesting that we're still the richest country in the world, but we're trillions in debt. China potentially owns us. 
It's just fun. It's just like a funny thing to say. I'm not going to go, well, actually how it works is because the dollar is worth when we trade with other countries, they trade in dollars, which means we're powerful. Do you think that's a funny joke? If I just give you a, a TED talk about the world economy, you think I'm dumb over here? You should see the amount of email I get from men explaining shit to me on the podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Um, anyway, but so, you know, I have friends who are like, now listen, here's the thing. I get it. This COVID doesn't go away in America if the whole world isn't vaccinated. You know, I mean, we can protect ourselves and that's great, but we're a world, we're a global, we're a global. This is a global community. People are flying in and out, this and that. It is imperative that we get everyone across the globe vaccinated, that new variants aren't able to just develop. And I even heard a podcast. I love Andy Slavitt's podcast, In the Bubble, that... The more we keep immunizing ourselves against Delta, I can't, I can't remember how he explained it, but basically in a weird way, in general, not like if we get the third booster, that's not what he's talking about. He just means if this kept going on like this for years and years, that it it doesn't actually help stop variants from spreading. I, he explains it all. Please, I'm not Joe Rogan. You're going, oh, oh, I'm just saying everything wrong. I mean, but... um. So I get it. Like, I get being concerned with the rest of the world. But at the same time, my dumb friend who won't go to the CVS around the corner to get his booster is not, him doing that is not actually solving the problem of the globe needs to get vaccinated. Like, there are some things, and I, I know we don't like this, there are some things that are out of our hands. I mean, we can write letters, we can call, we can tweet, we can march, we can protest, uh, as as um as um thousands of people as you know as individuals maybe less of an impact as as a group huge impact i get it but here's the thing if the vaccines are here they're going to be thrown out so let's say my friend influences 1 million people and now 1 million people will not get the booster joe biden we will not go to cvs and get the booster because you need to send more vaccines globally. Well, he's not going to go, oh, thanks, Jen's friend who influenced a million people. Um, let's get all those vaccines that are already here and let's ship that. That's not happening. So see, that's out of your hands. I get it. But this weird self-righteous, I won't get a booster because I'm thinking about other countries. You're a gorgeous soul. But the thing is, you live here now and your vaccine is waning and you are active and social and getting on airplanes and going to parties, this person I'm thinking of. And so if you don't get a booster, you can spread COVID right here where you live. So I get it. It sucks. It sucks to be this privileged country and to be like, oh my God, this is like, we're living so differently than so many other nations. I get it. But you not going to CVS ain't gonna solve the problem. Even if you influence a million people not to do the same thing, it just, it's sort of like, look, again, I hate to say this because people, well, you can protest. No, it's out of our hands. It's out of our hands, this one. 
Just, I'm sorry, but it is. Same with the fossil fuel industry. I get it, consumer demand, but let's just for today, for today, it's out of our hands. Go to CVS and get your fucking booster if if they say that we're all allowed to do. Right now, it's only immunocompromised. You know, people on like severe medication where they just have like zero antibodies. But when it opens up to everybody, don't be a hero because what? who's going to talk about it? Me on my podcast, and I'm not even going to say your name. So, you know. I, I just think there's a, a narcissism to our activism that doesn't actually help anything. I think this might be a boring one today. Oh, Lord, I don't feel funny. I don't feel unfunny or like upset. I just feel kind of neutral. You know, I'm in neutral. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. I am coming down off the busiest fucking three weeks I have had in 2021. And I just did not expect that to happen in the summer. Just did not. So I was working seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day for almost a month. And um, it hasn't stopped yet. Um, Today, it stops after I hit stop on recording this podcast. So you getting me on fumes. Do you you hear me? So... um, what am I pissed off about? Let me just, maybe I'll just be like ranty today. So what am I pissed off about today? Well, Jon Stewart is back with a show. Do we need Jon Stewart right now? Why? You know, I've gone off on him before. I just don't think we do. I mean, I'm still mad at him for just hating Hillary so much that when he came back on the air to, you know, talk bad against Trump before the 2016 election, I he didn't really make it clear that there was one person between us and the apocalypse, and she was the D on the ballot, Hillary Clinton. He just sort of made it like, don't vote for Trump. Well, that's not enough. you, You can go back and listen to my episode called Labs, where I tell you my entire lifelong frustration with Jon Stewart. Now, I'm not saying should he not have a job. I'm not saying that. But there seem to be 74 late night shows with men on them. Yes, we've got ones with women now. We've got Sam B. We've got Amber Ruffin. There's tons. There's a, I mean, not tons. There's like a couple. I don't want one. Don't talk. I'm not talking about me. Here's the thing. I'm sometimes, I am just talking about my industry. I'm not talking about, I don't want a fucking late night political show. There was a time when I did. And that was way before any of this bullshit of Russian disinformation where even the left was starting to go crazy and believe memes. And I I don't want to dip my toe into this current mess unless I did a show about disinformation, which actually my friend Will Anderson in in, um, Australia is doing. I haven't seen the show because it's Australian, but from his tweets, it seems that that's what the show is about. But uh, but I don't even I I don't want to do any of that. So I'm not talking about me. 
But I'm just saying it's frustrating to me. Jon Stewart retired and then came back. That's fine. I have a fantasy that I want to be retired. I could not work again and not miss it and not need attention. But I really think that's true because I spend so much of my time getting negative attention. Every interview I do, Louis C.K., then they print that and then I get harassed and I check my Twitter DMs and my Instagram DMs and all that because I'm running my own business here. And every single person who asks me, how do I subscribe to your podcast? I got to email them back with a link. You go, Jen, hire someone to do that. I hire enough people. I cannot be hemorrhaging money because I don't want to be inconvenienced to see an insult DM. That I have to wage, wage. I have to weigh the pros and cons of where I spend money and where I don't actually need to. I spend money where I don't actually have the skills to do things I need people to do for me. If I were way wealthier, yeah, then we get into spending money to do things I don't want to do. I'm not there right now. So I get so much negative attention constantly online. I I have way too much insight into what people think of me or what they think of women or what I'm so ready to just sail away and never see any of it again. Jon Stewart is not that. You know, he had a TV show. He's getting awards. He's doing this. Then he goes and runs his vegan farm. And now he's back. It's like, I get it. If you only had praise, adulation, you don't have to look at fucking comments on Twitter. Like, yeah, you miss being in the public eye, I guess. It's a different experience. But there's something right now that feels very tone deaf to me about 58-year-old white straight cis man saying, my voice needs to be added back into the conversation. And I think you've had your time. Know when to go away. They say that about women. They said about Hillary, go knit, they say. Even me, who I feel like, I feel like I was a little ahead of my time with things. And I didn't, you know, with not wanting kids and doing a special about being divorced, you know, and traveling alone. I feel like had I come on the scene now with all that stuff at 35, I'd be huge. I think I was a little bit before anyone cared. And now I'm too old and people are like, no more white women, you know, and which is fine. So in a lot of ways, I have stepped aside. I'm not even going to try to get my own late night show. I don't want one. But even if I did, I'd probably be like, you know what? It's just such an uphill battle because they're not trying to hear from voices my age and with all my privilege right now. But there are exceptions made for guys who've already one, right? Guys who've already proven themselves in the marketplace. So John comes back. So I I mean, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying he can't work. I'm saying maybe there could be more voices. You know, what's, what are five more late night shows? We already have 10 with guys hosting them, half of them named Jimmy. What, what, why not more with, with women? You know, so anyway, my whole point is John Stewart's got this show. So he's got this ad and on paper, technically the ad is funny. He has an ad where he's um, you know, it's close up of him putting on a suit, putting on clothes. And then the last moment of the ad, he looks in the mirror and he goes, ah, what happened to my face? Oh my God, this isn't a face for TV. Why did I, why did I pick television as the medium c- to come back in? I should have done a podcast. And he, you know, he walks off. It's very funny. It is a man that was famous when he was younger right? He's coming back. He's older. There's there's ageism for men and women, more so for women, but there's ageism. And he's like, what happened to my face? Oh my God. Why didn't I do a po-? It's funny. It's just like a perfect, it's a perfect TV show promo. Kudos to whomever thought of it. However, 
What makes me angry about it is it is soaked in in a privilege that is a bummer. It's like, yeah, but dude, you might think you look old and older. You know, listen, it. I people age. 58 is not 38. So yeah, of course he looks older. He's still a handsome man, of course. But, but yeah, I mean, I relate to that. You look in the mirror like, what the fuck? We all relate. Very funny. But nobody's telling him he can't be on the air because he's too old. And there's women who, it's not even to the point where people say to your face, you're too old, you can't get on the air. You're just invisible and not even an option. And when you try, it is ignored. I have, this is absolutely true. I am speaking from a business I am in. And so it would only be as funny to me if there was a woman who was 58 and had a show and could say the same thing and actually, quote, look her age. Everyone went, what about Samantha B? Because I tweeted that. Well, she is 51, which is not 58. Quote, she doesn't look 51. And she's had her show for a long time before she was in her 50s. There, she is currently not doing an ad where she has come back from retirement at almost 60 and said, what happened to my face? And made a joke about she's too old to be on TV. We are not there yet because what would happen is, first of all, even getting the show, I don't think would happen. But then doing that kind of ad, the network would be like, well, we don't want to call out the fact that you're old and that you don't think you look good. Like that would never be allowed. So to me, if Jon Stewart is as awoke as he thinks he is, a funny button for the ad, instead of saying I should have done a podcast, or, or in addition to, is to come back and make a joke about something along the lines of, yeah, I know I'm a white guy. Can you imagine a woman doing this? Like something, you can write that in a funny way. But he doesn't even realize that he gets to do this. And it makes me crazy. I really don't have time for his voice in the marketplace. Now he has a head writer. That's a woman. Like the whole staff is very diverse. Unlike the daily show that he used to run. So that's great. I want all those people to thrive. I want the show to be good for them. I want everyone to get an amazing start to their career from this or continuation of their career. I want everyone to have huge success. So not wishing it ill. I'm just annoyed at that ad. Ageism is the last ism, and I have been screaming it forever, and it's starting to bubble up as the articles come out about Gen X being caught between taking care of their parents and taking care of their kids and suffering the same recessions that younger people do, except we are being pushed out of the workplace because of the prejudice that younger people have that we don't know how to use computers, okay? So it's real, and it's starting to bubble up, and I will be validated. That ageism, not just, I mean, we all know it exists with the elderly, but there's a bizarre ageism happening for people in their 40s and 50s. And Jon Stewart doesn't experience it. He may experience how we all feel when we look in the mirror and go, I used to be different. But that's not an ism. That's an anecdote. And there is a difference. So, 
And you know, Liz Winstead, who is John's age, started the fucking Daily Show. Where's her TV show? There's a great thread on Twitter about how Liz started the Daily Show. I, I might even try to find it. Imagine that. I might even try to find something that supports what I'm fucking talking about. Um, but before I find it, I will tell you this funny story. So, um, oh, here it is. I found it. Okay, so 2009, there is this comedy festival in Washington, D.C., put on by this group called Brightest Young Things. And I mean, there's just every comedian you love. Like, there's a photo. It's just like me, Reggie Watts, Morgan Murphy, I think Maria Bamford. Just like a million people. And Liz Winstead was there, the creator of The Daily Show. And she has all these connections in D.C. And she got us these private tours of the White House, the Capitol. It was so cool. You know, the regular tours that tourists do. But we got a little more VIP we got a little more behind the scenes than the average person does. And I had never been inside the White House before. It was exciting. Obama was president. It was touching to see the family photos on the wall. And to think, you know, enslaved people built the White House and now we have a black president. I mean, that just that alone was exciting. And but it's like the floorboards creak. You kind of feel like you're in Salem at like a witch trial house. You know, it's like, this is the White House, but it's old. You know, it's kind of, it's old. And so, but we went to the Capitol and the man leading us on the tour, you know, it, I mean, so my point is, my my friend Morgan Murphy sent me a picture the other day. She goes, we were the first insurrectionists because we snuck onto Nancy Pelosi's balcony. And she's like, I want to post this on social media, but I'm afraid people will really be mad and be like, how dare you criticize the insurrectionists? You know, so, you know, because of all the right wing talking points, it was just a tour. They, these were just tourists. Like, no, they weren't. But we were just tourists. We were, we were, you know, young people in comedy and we got this great tour. And he said, that's, you know, Speaker Pelosi's office. And we looked in and um, he was giving a speech in the hallway and we were all just kind of allowed. There was no one else allowed in this hallway. We were, we were kind of allowed to walk around and do whatever. And her door was open and the um, the doors to her balcony were, were open. And Morgan and I ran ran out to the balcony and just looked at the Pentagon and we took a selfie and then we ran back out. I mean, I wouldn't even dreamed to touch anything on her desk. But it's up there. It's on social media. Um, It's in one of my throwback somethings. But I didn't, I, I haven't reposted it lately because there's just not enough nuance in this world for someone to be like, how come you can go on Nancy Pelosi's balcony and the guy can't sit in her chair and steal her laptop and want to kill her, huh? I, we, we knew at the moment we shouldn't be doing this. We were kids. We were 30. That's a kid, by the way, when you're Gen X. Would I do it now? Probably not. 
but I felt we were doing it from a place of like, we were in awe. We just, it was just, I don't know, it was thrilling. The whole thing was thrilling. Anyway, my point is Liz Winstead was there. And when the, the guard who was giving us a tour found out that she had created the Daily Show, that's when we started getting all these extra privileges of walking around. And he was like, well, I don't understand. You don't get any credit for it. She's like, I know. So there was this great article in the New York Times, uh, The Daily Show at 25, The Creators Look Back. It debuted in 96. The creator is Madeline Smithberg. I worked with Madeline for a while um, when George Bush was president, the son, GW. Uh, it was around 2004 to 2006. I lived in LA and she and I were creating a show together um, because every day I did this thing. Ugh, I was really against the second Iraq war, obviously, and the first one. But I did this thing as a, I was working at Lifetime Television as a, it was like a, real job, but like I was freelance and, you know, that was my day job and I was doing comedy at night and just trying to get shit going. And I was in my late twenties and I, was I in my late twenties? No, I was 30. Exactly. So I was, um, trying to get my life going. It actually might've been 29 cause it was before that. Yeah. And I was just so distraught over him being president and, um, I wrote letters to him every day. I was trying, I was trying to get something going. I was thinking maybe I'll get on a no-fly list. And I was kind of hoping, not that I flew that much, but I hope when I go to the airport, I find out I'm on a no-fly list. And then I I don't know, dot dot dot. I thought I would make something of it. What do you mean, sir? I mean, this is before social media, before TikTok, before Instagram, video, before anything. You know, so it's like. I don't know what I thought I was going to be doing. And my camera was like a Blackberry. My camera, my phone, there's no camera on it. It was a Blackberry. I mean, not, no video on it. You know, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. But I think in my mind, I would get, okay, so this is what I thought. I would get, I would contact George Bush every day. Okay, wait, sorry. Let me say this correctly. When I was 29, I was working in Los Angeles at Lifetime Television on the website part of it. And that was my day job. I was broke. I was trying to make it as a comedian. Um, looking back, 29 seems so young. I'd only been doing comedy like less than 10 years. I don't know what I thought should be happening in my life, but I wanted to get something. I was very political back then. I still am, but I do not want my own political show now. I do not want to mix the two worlds, I'm I'm completely different person now. But back then, very against the second Iraq war. Obviously, I opposed the first as well, but we're not talking about that one. So I was didn't know what to do. I was having anxiety in my little cubicle at Lifetime. And the only thing I could think to do was I would write a letter to George Bush every day, almost like a diary entry. Dear President Bush, and I would tell him about my anxiety attacks in my little cubicle and, and what I wanted, you know, I want to be a comedian. I want to do this. Now I want to ask you, President Bush, and I would say, you know, things that he did, right? Well, I love what you're doing for, you know, AIDS in Africa or something. And I'd say, but I don't understand, like, is Cheney secretly running the show? Why are you invading Iraq? Even your dad doesn't want you to. And I know you're doing it to avenge your father. This isn't a superhero movie. And and why haven't you found Bin Laden? Are you trying not to? Are you in on it with the family? You know, I don't forget that on 9-11, you flew the Bin Laden family out of America while 
all flights were restricted for everyone else. What is going on, President Bush? Why are you ignoring Cindy Sheehan? Wasn't that the woman that, the mom that sat outside of his house? Why are you clearing brush every weekend? Remember that? I got to go to Texas and clear the brush. Like, you're not even Texan. You're from Connecticut. I would write these letters, but they weren't mean. They had this childlike empathy to them and trying to get him to see me as a person. So I would I would write one every day. It would be almost this self-soothing anxiety exercise. And I would print them out. Don't you love, don't you love printing shit out for free at your office? Is there anything better? And it's just so much faster than your home printer. You never have to worry about, oh, you have to change the cayenne cartridge. And you're like, I'm just printing black and white. Why is it even using red? What is this? Anyway, I wrote a letter and I had this series of letters, Dear President Bush, and I used to perform them on stage. And I wanted to, what I wanted to happen with it, and I would mail them. Oh, by the way, that's the most important part. Would mail them to the White House. And I would send one every day. So, you know, look, I know they're not opening them. I know he never saw them. But somebody, some schmo at the White House, this is what I thought. As I'm saying it now, it sounds ridiculous. But some schmo at the White House who opens the mail is like, this person writes every day. And to me, that signals someone's a little off, right? Someone's a little too focused on you. Now, that would be the case if it weren't me. I, I know me. I'm not an assassin. Or not an assassin, but yeah, assassin. Uh, I'm not going to... Uh, this isn't going to go anywhere. I'm not going to escalate this. I'm just writing letters because I'm anxious and it gives me something to do. And I perform them at night. The person opening the mail doesn't know this, but in a, in a you know, so you, you, I thought this person is going to go, huh, every day I get a letter from Los Angeles from this Jen Kirkman person. I'm going to pass this along to whoever needs to know, and they're going to put her on a no-fly list. That's what I thought. I was trying in a weird way to get put on the no-fly list. That was a big thing back then, people. Anyone who the government was suspicious of was put on the no-fly list. It was almost like Nixon's enemy list. Do you know what I mean? And it's like John and Yoko were on Nixon's enemy list. You know, he was watching them very carefully. He didn't want John living in New York. He didn't want John in America influencing people, you know? And you got to remember back then, Dick Cheney was the president and we all fucking knew it. Dick Cheney is a scary man. He's had three heart attacks, just keeps getting better. <laughs> Does not die, that man. Not saying he should. We all know shot, shot his friend in the face by accident while doing his decoy duck hunting or whatever fake hunting that is. Joke As the joke goes, the friend apologized to him. I mean, it's not a joke, but it's sort of a story that got boiled down to that, this little anecdote that the details aren't 100% that black and white, but okay. So we, Dick Cheney, very scary. We all knew George W. Bush was his puppet. So I'm thinking, yeah, I actually did think at that time that there would be very strict things happening and, and maybe Dick Cheney would be like, man, have, have some kind of guy in the basement that 
really checks the mail and makes sure we don't get letters from the same person every day. I mean, there's no fucking way. But anyway, I'm, I don't know what I thought. Okay, so then I thought I'm going to get put on a no-fly list. That's what I want. Because then I thought, and then this is where the plan had not been planned. So it's like dot, 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 and because there's no social media, there's no TikTok, there's no Instagram, there's no Instagram video, there's no Twitter, there's maybe Facebook, there's MySpace. I actually think actually there was Friendster, but there's no videos really online, you know, where, oh my God, you're going viral. Jen Kirkman is at the airport. She's on the no fly list. So, th- but this was my fantasy that I go to the airport, which by the way, I wasn't a touring comedian yet. So I never traveled except to go home at Christmas, but I get to the airport. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Here she is. Little Jen just going back for Christmas. And they stop her. No, you cannot get on the flight. What do you mean? You're on the no-fly list. And then they, you know, I don't know what I thought would happen. Instead of me just going, oh, okay, bye. That Like they'd arrest me or something. It's not a crime to be on it, I don't think. I don't, I hadn't thought it through. But I thought, it's going to get media attention that I am on the no-fly list. And I think my thought was, then I'll be in the national media and I'll be like, I'm on the no-fly list? I'm a fucking temp at Lifetime TV. I'm a comedian. All I was doing was writing letters to the president. But bin Laden's not been caught yet? Oh, okay. You guys really have your priorities straight. And then I'd get like super famous. I, that was my plan. Do you understand when you people write to me for advice? How do I get successful in comedy? This is who you're asking. Maybe don't ask me, because that was my plan, and I was about to turn 30, which a lot of you people think is old. Well, that was my plan at 30. Write a letter to the president every day like he's Santa Claus, get put on a no-fly list, make a big stink, somehow that part hasn't been worked out yet in the media, I get famous for it, and what now? So anyway... Madeline Smithberg found out I was doing these letters because she saw me reading them at a show. And she's like, I think this could be a great little show. And she was working with some network that was like one of the first networks that was going to do more short form content, 15 minute TV shows. The whole network imploded. It was run by like young guys. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't respect Madeline. The whole thing went kaplooey. And she just told me Everything. She told me everything of what it was to work at The Daily Show and the sexism there, despite the fact that she fucking created it. And so I've just always had a bad taste in my mouth about The Daily Show. But anyway, so in the New York Times, Comedy Central um, creators Madeline Smithberg, Liz Winstead, reflect on the early days when Dateline was a main target and Jon Stewart took over from Craig Kilborn. Um, I'm just going to read highlights. It's worth remembering that The Daily Show was created by two women, Madeline Smithberg and Liz Winstead. The writers and producers, veterans of MTV's The Jon Stewart Show, were brought in by Comedy Central in 1995 to put together a nightly news parody. Um, yeah, first it was hosted by Craig Kilborn, who I, you know. Um, Winstead had already left the show in the late 90s after clashing with Kilborn. Smithberg left in 2003. So that's when I met her after she had left The Daily Show. And she was kind of just like in it, like in her, you know, just when I say someone's in it, I mean, like, man, I'm in a mood today. I'm just in it. Like she was just still in it from having been at The Daily Show. Um, 
yeah, so I'm just reading. So Liz said um, she and her upstairs neighbor, another woman, worked on the Jon Stewart show. And uh, they were hanging out one night and they came up with an idea for a TV show. And the idea was called The Network. And they said it was kind of like Larry Sanders. But instead of being about a show, it was about the worst cable network on planet Earth. They pitched the idea, got a development deal. Um, and then this guy at Comedy Central was like, listen, we can't afford to make that show. Why don't you produce The Daily Show? Um, so they're like, oh, okay. Uh, so they did that instead. And, uh, you know, the network was like, we're going to give you guys a year to grow and really develop it. And they studied Dateline and the super serious reaction shots and this, you know, the walk and talk and the camera turns and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, then Liz said, wait, wait, what if we pretend we're Dateline? We pretend we're them and we adopt this mock, serious, self-important attitude. Then we can be as silly as we want as long as we always bring it home. And that's when The Daily Show was born. Unfortunately, what happens with something like The Daily Show is you do end up becoming what you're par parodying, right? You actually become the truth teller and people take you seriously. And then, you know, I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying it does happen. <laughs> And listen, hey, that's a that's a feather in my comedian cap, right? We're all part of the same universe. So I do feel proud when comedians are known as kind of the truth tellers. Unfortunately, there are so many truths out there. I mean, there's one truth, but people believe their own truths. And then we've got terrible comedians who are telling people not to get vaccinated. So I think that whole notion of comedian as truth teller is dead. I do think a lot of comedians are very smart and that you can trust them. But how do you know who to trust? You don't. I know. But why would you trust me telling you who to trust? You know what I'm saying? It's just everything has been taken apart. And so they were the ones that originally hired Stephen Colbert. He was doing pieces on Good Morning America as an actual correspondent. And... Winstead was like, I'm watching him do things that nobody is catching that are really funny. And it feels like he's playing a correspondent. He should be on The Daily Show. So Liz Winstead discovered Stephen Colbert. Do you know what Liz Winstead's name? No. Isn't that just sickening? Anyway, it's a great article. And, uh, yeah, just find it. New York Times. And the title is The Daily Show at 25, The Creators Look Back. So anyway, so I tweeted about the Jon Stewart thing. And of course, all these dudes were like, oh, if a woman's funny, she can be on TV. It's like, honey, I get it. We're actually in agreement. I do think it should be true that if a woman is funny, no matter her age, gender, this, that can be on TV. But sweetie, when you say that, and there aren't any women of that age or that gender on TV, then you're tacitly saying they don't exist. And what you're not understanding is you're not, you're angry at me and not the right people. If you truly don't care how old a woman is or her color or her sexuality, and you're saying funny is funny, funny wins, then what you're saying is, but there's not any. So that's why they're not, that's not true, honey. Yes, we all agree funny should be the, the 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 decision maker, but it's not 
The executives don't let people of certain looks get through. People do get through. Sometimes they do. But that's what I'm saying. It's like so the 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 lack of smarts that I have to see. Do you understand? Remember when Barbara Bush said about Hurricane Katrina? Why would my beautiful mind want to know about this? Why does my beautiful mind have to know what fucking dumb dudes on the internet think? Why does my mind have to see that? Oh, God. Oh, God. My God, the episode's almost over. I've been ranting that long. Oh. <sighs> well, let's just read some listener emails. Um, let's, I have a bunch from weeks ago, but I'm going to read ones that correspond to last week's episode. Oh, okay. So everybody, remember I was talking about, I'm, I'm fascinated with reincarnation in children. Well, I went and watched that Netflix show that I had had it in my queue. Uh, the reason I'm being so specific about this is because I do not take show recommendations. <laughs> I mean, I can, I mean, you can give them to me all you want, but if I feel connected to something, I'll watch it when I decide to watch it. It's just, I've always been that way. I, I know it's annoying, um, but it had been in my queue and I forgot. So I, I put it on and it was called Surviving Death. Now, I think most of the series was bad and badly done. And I think it was quackery. Like, listen, I am fascinated with the woman who uh, kayaked down a waterfall and was underwater and underwater for 30 minutes. I mean, not breathing. And she was brought back on the, sh I mean, they'd called off the search for the live body and turned it into more of a rescue the body mission. And, uh, it, or it had gone from rescue to recover or whatever it's called. And they pulled her out and she was purple and they, but she came back to life. I mean, that is just freakish. And I want to, you guys, I want to believe it's some kind of godly miracle and if you believe that, that's awesome. I lean on your faith. But I just think every once in a while that our bodies are freakish and things just come back. I just, I think it's just chalk it up to fuck. I don't fucking know what that was. It's like when your battery's dead in a clock for a long time and it's even got that white crusty stuff on it. And then one day the clock starts ticking for a couple seconds. You're like, that was weird. It's like that. It's like, I don't know. Now, so she claims when she died, she went somewhere and saw this and that. And I'm going, oh, that's like the drug DMT that people do, which recreates sort of the chemicals that your brain explodes when you're dying. You know, I think we're such a beautifully designed, evolved bodies that like, yeah, when you start dying, you see white lights. It's the, it's your brain dying and it, it's the same experience as people who've done DMT, which doesn't sound interesting to me to do, but but I do, I take great comfort in the fact that our brains are kind of protecting us and it feels like we're going into another portal and you talk to relatives and it, they just didn't even go with any of the science that, you know, a lot of people, I mean, it's like your brain's in a dream state and it does last a little longer than, um, you can still come up as brain dead while the while that chemical thing is happening. So I, I just like to not even mention that, that like, well, also there is kind of a, an explanation that's been figured out in the last 10 years of that the chemicals released in your brain when you die do also mimic a near-death experience. Listen, I want there to be 
I would never tell someone who didn't experience it that they didn't. But there was this whole episode about support groups people go to because once they've gone to the other side, they just don't relate to anyone in their life anymore. I swear to God, it reminds me of people who've tripped. We're just like, I get it. We're all one. I'm just wondering if it's really true that they can't relate to people anymore or if they just really believe that they had a near-death experience and they see things differently. But I think what they experienced was something that not many people get to experience, which is the release of those chemicals in your brain. And I wonder if the spouses of people who've had a near-death experience were given DMT and tripped if they wouldn't go, oh my God, I just experienced what you did in your near-death experience. I get it now. I'm just saying you know, I would have loved really drilling down. It was more of a, just a, you know, fun to watch, silly, but I would hardly call it a docu-series, even though it is one. But the episodes that were well done was the one episode, episode six, about near-death experiences in children. I mean, not near-death, uh, past lives and children. My Favorite. I mean, just go watch Surviving Death on Netflix, episode six. That's all you need to watch. Because there's a psychiatrist who's been doing this for 20 years, and he does these tests with kids who claim they've had other lives. And then once they're four or five, they forget, and they stop talking about their past lives. And so there's this 15-year-old kid whose mom is telling him, you said this, you said that, you said this, you said that. Um, they found that th this kid used to be a background extra in Hollywood named Marty Martin. And and he knew all this information when he was three or four that not even Marty Martin's family knew. And the kid is now 15 and they flew him out and he met Marty Martin's daughter. And she's like, you know, it, it was the 15 year old was like, I don't know. I don't remember saying any of that. You know, I, I don't know. I, I I'm not this person, but I feel weird. And, and it looked like hell for him. And then this other kid was a teenager now, but when he was three or four, he would wake up in bed in the middle of the night screaming about that his plane was shot down. And it turned out, I mean, he would say names, Jack Larson. I was on the Nakamoto boat. It was an American boat. And I was a Navy pilot and I got shot down. And they, they found out all this was true. Now, imagine your three-year-old is saying all this and the father started researching and oh my God, and they figured it out. And they sailed, they ended up when he was, you know, eight years old, sailing over that part of the sea in Japan. And he had this profound reaction and was crying and he worked through it. I mean, it was unreal. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Now, is it a past life or is this kid just bizarrely psychically connected? See, I think it's even more difficult to explain than I was reincarnated. I think in the spirit realm when that guy, James, the, the pilot was dead, and this kid's name was James too, which is weird. And James, the kid, before he became a kid, when he was just in the spirit realm, maybe they connected somehow. Maybe he knew. I don't know. But I think it's even weirder than I used to be this person. I was born again. I just, I think it's even weirder than that. And I always thought of reincarnation as you wouldn't come back as another white guy that died 20 years ago. You know, you would be a butterfly in India. I don't know. I, I, I didn't realize it was weird how much he looked like this guy too. I mean, maybe there, I don't know. I just can't wrap my mind around any of it, but it was definitely, there was no other explanation. Whereas this near death experience stuff, you go, Oh, could be that could be this could be this could be that, you know? Anyway, listener emails, dear Jen, I am a scientist and I'm not religious at all, but I know 
I have lived multiple lives before, at least once as a bird. My mom said that when I was about two to three years old, I knew things that only a grown-up could know, and I taught myself to read. I also have had an NDE, near-death experience, in which I floated up into the sky, into the stars. It was nighttime. I was escorted by two beings, one on either side of me. I was thrilled and excited to be going. Then a loud voice said, it's not her time, and I whooshed back down into my body. I was disappointed, but I know that eventually when I die, it won't be the end. And that is from Jen. See, a lot of people want things not to be the end. I I want that for you, Jen. I'd like to hear more about what, why you almost died. D Jen. Uh, this is from Tony. Now, Tony, you know I know this. This is why I can't wrap my mind around the fact that aliens have been here because there's no possible way unless they have figured out wormhole stuff, which we are starting to figure out. So there is still a back door. Tony says, UFOs, the distances are so far and minerals in the universe are so abundant that there would be no practical reason to notice our planet. Well, that is actually a great point, too, that I often don't remember is like, we are not special, you know, um, the other thing I've recently thought about after listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson, I will remind you guys, he is a sexual harasser. Um, he has a very, very problematic background. So just be careful with that guy. Um, talk about the subject. He said, if somehow we atten attained the technology to reach a quarter of the speed of light, we can make a one-way trip to the nearest star within someone's lifetime. The nearest star is four light years, roughly. If I did this right, it would be four years to get one light year, then multiply that by four years, 16 years, something like that. I gave some thought about how much energy is needed to get up to that speed, and it gave me another reason why I don't believe we've been visited. No one ever talks about the energy you need to slow down. In the void of space, there is nothing like throwing out a parachute or a sail to slow you down. There's no friction, so all movements are created by the law of equal and opposite reaction of a force. You would need just as much fuel to blow in the opposite direction to slow down as you did speed up. Earth's mechanical orbital speed is 17,000 miles per hour. To escape, you need 17,500. Same for coming in. You have to get down to 17,000 miles per hour. You come in too fast and you skip right by or crash it. Um, fourth of the speed of light equals 167,400,000 miles an hour. 100% speed of light, 669,600,000 miles an hour. A quarter speed of light is almost 10,000 times faster than the orbital speed. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. The energy required to get the mass of a spaceship, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I get it. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And that's why I think a lot of UFOs, again, are, I don't know, technologies from other country, maybe, maybe aliens live here. Maybe they come. My thing is something's going on under the water. This shit comes from under the water. I just like, listen, I love mysteries. Let there be mysteries. Even though I just tried to debunk near-death experiences. It's fun to do, though. It gets the brain going. And that's what I didn't like about that Netflix special. It didn't give us the option to have other opinions and go, well, I mean, yeah, it could be chemicals in the brain, but I don't know. Why, why not account for the spiritual world? And then you get to decide. Because I know when I watch things, I'm like, oh, yeah, aliens have landed. And then some scientist is like, two to the X power cannot have happened. I'm like, oh, shit. And then I, I see my brain making a choice where I go, I don't care. I want to believe. And I like when I get to observe my mind doing that. And that Netflix documentary didn't give me the chance.
Jen, I listened to your birthday episode. I started listening to your podcast this year, and I love it. It's like talking to a good friend on the porch. Your bit about reincarnation and past lives was fun, and I'm on board with all of it. I actually went to a past life regression hypnotist a few years ago. I decided to go for my birthday and just go for the experience with literally zero expectations. Oh, by the way, I forgot, when mentioning working at Lifetime, one of the series that we were doing was about paranormal, and it, and we would do these little extras for the website, and that was my job to go film them and produce them. And I went to a past life regressionist and I got regressed and she couldn't get me to go under. I just was like sort of under hypnosis, but I was like, yeah, there's no past life here. I can't believe I didn't mention it last week when I said I don't think I've had a past life. I was like, yeah, I just don't. Yeah, I don't. There's nothing here. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then. um, The one thing I'll say about, I had this psychic reading on my birthday, which was incredible. And I like to keep some things about my life to myself, so I will. But he was like, okay, I'm seeing all of this, like this and that was difficult in your past life. And he's naming stuff that literally happened in the last 20 years to me from age 20 to 40. And he went on and he's like, do you relate to any of this? I was like, yeah, actually, but that wasn't a past life that happened between 1998 and you know, 2011. And he was like, oh my God, it's coming off like a past life because your energy now is completely transformed. It's totally different. I was like, oh, you know, I've lived three lives in this current lifetime. That's why like, I think this is my first life because I have evolved so much. It's literally a different person. And uh, he's like, the energy of it is coming off like a different lifetime. And I was like, it, it was, but it wasn't. So I'm just convinced I've never had another life. Anyway, um, this woman says she went to a past life regression hypnotist for her birthday. She said it was a bit life-changing. I was fully hypnotized, which I doubt it would even happen. And I experienced three past lives. It was like watching a movie, but also living it. Like I didn't know it was about to happen. And I could feel the emotion of myself who I was watching in my body. The first life, I just saw myself as an old woman giving flowers to kids, being poor and dirty. And at the end of the life, I saw myself lie down next to a fireplace a one-room structure, and die. I could feel myself floating up, and then we went to the other lives. One was a gay married man. I'm a woman, and I saw flashes of myself going to and from work, the outside of my home, and at my daughter's birthday party. I looked across the table and instantly knew that my wife, who was across the table, hated me. Oh, I get it. You were in the closet married man, married gay man. She despised me. I was sleeping with another man who was my soulmate, but we couldn't be together. It was the 50s. The other life, I was a woman in a forested area hunting with a long spear. I was kidnapped, I don't know why, and brought to a gathering of people in an open area near a forest. There were tent-like structures we slept in, and I knew that no one could understand me or I couldn't understand them, like I was deaf or something. One night, two men dragged me out of the tent, and while I'm simultaneously watching this happen under hypnosis, I am also feeling abject terror at the past life regressionist's office while it's happening. I say, oh my God, they're going to rape me, and then I'm being dragged, and then they tie my hands to a clay pot and throw me into a river and die. I have no understanding of why they did this. Listen, I am as skeptical as the rest of them, but I literally did not know what was going to happen next, and my body responded emotionally to what was happening, and it felt very real. I don't know how I would have come up with these scenarios so quickly if I was making it up. And if I was lying and knew it was false, why would I feel panic, despair, and terror so fully? I still can't say for sure if I believe it, but I think mostly I do. I've also seen a medium twice. My stepmom saw her first and referred her. 
She accurately described my grandma and her favorite dog, Lacey. She accurately described the color and long ears of the dog, not my grandma, of Lacey, the black cocker spaniel, the dog that my grandma used to always mention that she missed dearly and would dream of her. The medium also told me, I see candles, a lot of candles lately. Are you Catholic? And I'm not. In fact, I was atheist at the time, but was feeling so lost. I was visiting the church next to my work almost every day and lighting a candle for my grandma. Please don't use my name if you read any part of my email. Thank you. I won't, and I didn't. I've got more emails to read, everybody. So uh, one person said, uh, oh, there's just so much more on this topic, but we'll get into the emails more next week. Listen, we can't, we can't do it every week. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this wasn't a boring one. And uh, yeah, join that Patreon. We've got a uh, bonus episode coming up this week. 20-minute shorty bonus episode. I'll be talking about something in pop culture or celebrity. And that's available to the $5 levels and up as well as that video version. Anyway. Don't forget to check those links in the show notes to get on the list to know when the tickets go on sale and to know when you can subscribe to Anxiety Bites. Until next week. Oh, and if you want to send me an email, iseemfun at gmail.com. It may take me a few weeks to get to it, but that's okay. Until next week, have fun. Hold up. 